0: Hey, hey, welcome to Into Deep. I am your host, as always, Jack Rowland. And today I am joined by Dr. Paul Lichnitsky. Dr. Lichnitsky is Head of Clinical Psychedelic Research at Monash University and Chief Principal Investigator on a program of psychedelic trials also at Monash. He has his PhD in psychology and also an honours degree in neuroscience. His work revolves around researching psilocybin-assisted therapy for generalised anxiety disorders and MDMA-assisted therapy for post-traumatic stress disorder. I find it super exciting that this is all going on in Melbourne, and I just find this kind of research absolutely fascinating. I hope you all enjoy this chat with Dr. Paul Lichnitsky. Is there a point to all this? I think we're getting in too deep. You
1: don't apply. Bad luck. I have one speed, I have one gear. Go, 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 I'll tell you when we're getting into deep too deep too deep deep
0: deep. Dr. Paul Litnightski. Am I saying your name your name correctly there? That's right, Licknightski. Like three English words.
1: Lick knight ski.
0: Ah, excellent, excellent. thank you so much for joining me. I have been. Uh, every every time I read about you know psychedelic research, your name seems to continually pop up. Um, I've been you know really interested for uh, you know listen to many podcasts with um such people like uh, Rick Doblin of um, Maps in America, the kind of the work that they're doing. but um yeah, after reading more and more articles, I mean this this stuff is happening here in Australia, in Melbourne, and like literally, pretty much just up the road from me. And, um, and I believe you're kind of uh, spearheading most of, most of the kind of the, the psychedelic research going on. Is that correct?
1: Well, there's a small group of researchers and clinicians who are getting the field off the ground. Yes. Um, and, and I am very thrilled to be a part of that. And, um, and it's wonderful that Australia is finally joining the conversation. Um, you know, the field as you likely know, uh, really recommenced about 25 years ago with the very slow um, increase in in research around the world, particularly in the States and Europe. And, uh, yeah, Australia is really joining the conversation. And and pretty quickly uh, at that, you know, we've gone over the course of only two short years, we've gone from having no research activity to speak of to um, quite a few ethically approved clinical trials, therapists uh, who are being trained within these trials and um, industry funding, philanthropic funding. And now the first uh, ever in the world, the federal government uh, putting up uh, $15 million of competitive funding for psychedelic research specifically. So wow. we've really done 180 in a short space of time.
0: What? How? Uh, I, I know that psychedelic research has um, opened up in recent years, like, like you said. But why? Why is the federal government, and why is uh, what, what's changed in Australia? Because it seems like you know we're, we're kind of known as a bit of a nanny state. However, we've got you know this kind of stuff going on. It's really exciting. What, what's, mm. what's changed?
1: Well, I mean, I think a key condition is that there have been an accumulation of trials around the world who have shown. Really impressive um, safety and efficacy data, preliminary data, I should say. It's it's still very early days for the whole field because it's been so underfunded and so complex to to conduct this uh, research o- over the last twenty five years that the body of data that exists is still very small in in the contemporary era. That is, but I think you know th- this is a key factor that that uh, the data is compelling enough that it can't be ignored any longer. It's certainly far from being in the bag, but it's uh, it's definitely a very imp- uh, promising set of treatments. And then also, I think there's, there's something of a changing uh, public sentiment, perhaps a generational shift uh, around drug use in general and, and around psychedelics. Some of the old propaganda uh, war that raged heavily through the 70s and 80s is abating. and um, and there's also a massive unmet need, of course, in mental health care, um, you know, available treatments work for some people, but don't work for others. And um, and so we need new solutions. And and the field of psychiatry over the last 15 years has not performed uh, nearly as well as any other branch of medicine. Why Australia has done this about to, well, I think, you know, Australia is um, is sometimes slow to the party, but then... Uh, you know very quickly uh wants to catch up a little bit like a a young sibling who realizes the old, the older ones are are doing something else
0: <laughs> right <laughs> um are you able to give us a bit of just a kind of overview of exactly what you're what you what you're doing with your research what um what kind of chemicals are you looking at but yeah just just an overview of your work sure, sure.
1: yes so my the majority of my work now is centered on um the work we're conducting within the clinical psychedelic research lab at Monash University that I established about a year ago and uh, and so this is the first uh, dedicated psychedelic lab in the country and um, interestingly enough after you know working in this field for some years now uh, you know, I've been a scholar of the field for about a decade and, and been full-time in psychedelic research for about a year and a half uh, and I'm still uh, the only full-time researcher in the country, psychedelic researcher in the country. I think that'll change uh, very quickly when uh, that uh, fifty million dollars of federal funding gets dispersed and a number of new trials kick off early next year, um, which will be great to have. Um, you know, more colleagues joining the the field and and doing this good work. Um, so I'm involved in um, a number of trials across a number of different universities and hospitals. Some early pilot uh, studies. And then at Monash, uh, setting up this lab that commences with um, two key clinical trials. So the one trial which we received ethics approval for only a few weeks ago is uh, psilocybin-assisted therapy for generalized anxiety disorder. And um, we'll soon also be submitting to ethics for an MDMA-assisted therapy for post-traumatic stress disorder trial. We also have um, in-house therapist training for our therapists that work on these trials, and a number of other uh, survey-based studies that will be rolling out soon. So, you know, we're really building up the infrastructure and uh, the capacity to do a whole range of psychedelic uh, studies. And we're in advanced discussions now around a number of new projects that will be announced soon. So it's really a you know long-term uh, and ambitious program of work in my lab at Monash.
0: So you're... You're just working at the moment with um, psilocybin. Is it uh, synthetic, I, I expect? It's not actual mushrooms or anything?
1: Yes. Yeah, so we use, as do most groups uh, around the world, use uh, synthetic um, clinical-grade psilocybin. And uh, and then we'll be commencing with an MDMA study uh, at some point mm-hmm. uh, early next year as well. And yep. um, So it's just important to say, though, Jack, that um, these trials at Monash University have not... Commenced recruitment yet. So we're still in the kind of lead-up phase, uh, getting everything in order, getting ethics approval, uh, bringing in the drugs from overseas, training up therapists. Uh, A lot of work needs to be done to to just prepare before we can open the doors, which we hope to do uh, for patients early next year, perhaps the first quarter.
0: So uh, the patients next year, would that be um, first trial or have you already kind of, have you already done some initial experiment? experiments or um is that the right word (laughs) tests or on people so
1: so, um so far in australia only one trial has commenced recruitment of patients because all the other trials that have been uh, ethically approved and there are about five clinical psychedelic trials that are ethically approved uh, across different institutions in the country they all were approved during the covid lockdowns and um so in addition to the kind of reasonably lengthy workup that's required to get ready to see patients in this this kind of treatment, none of the trial sites have been able to commence new projects at all, in-person projects. So so they're all going to burst out of the blocks over the next couple of months, Uh, but only one trial that's led by uh, my colleague, Mark Ross at St. Vincent's Hospital in Melbourne has actually seen patients.
0: Right, right. Um, What would the therapy session of a psilocybin um, you know facilitated uh therapies so what what would that look like what 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 kind mm. of um cuz you know the trip usually goes for what 4 or 5 hours maybe a bit longer um yeah what what's the what's the kind of approach um yeah mm. i'm i'm curious as, as to what would actually be involved
1: yeah so in different trials somewhat different
0: uh, approaches are
1: used but there is a lot in common so in uh, my group at monash um, we we always are combining psychedelics with psychotherapeutic support. And I think that's really uh, quite important. And, and to date, you know, the, the contemporary evidence base uh, is predicated on psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy. Uh, this is not just a drug treatment uh, at all. And, uh, and so just to give you some idea of it, in our psilocybin for severe anxiety study, uh, we have between... Three and five uh, psychotherapeutic sessions prior to our first dosing session and so that's in the prep phase and uh, the, there are a number of key psychedelic specific um, features of that uh, that phase of of treatment that, that we that we employ so we really are kind of preparing the best possible launch pad we can and then we have in that trial two dosing sessions so this is the um you know. This is the uh, astronaut's mission, if you like, and and then following each dosing session, we have uh, three integration psychotherapy sessions as well. So there's a package of somewhere in the order of nine to eleven psychotherapies, two dosing sessions over the course of a couple of months for that trial. Uh, yeah, you're right. The um, the psilocybin uh, dosing day is a is a long day. It's it's more than a few hours. We um, Take a full eight-hour day for that uh, that session. Usually, the um, psychoactive effects will last about six hours, but there's a period of time before and afterwards uh, that's required as well. And um, so, we, we're doing we're delivering our treatment within uh, Brain Park, which is a, a wonderful state-of-the-art research platform at Monash University that's almost purpose-built for psychedelics, uh, except it isn't, <laughs> but it, it looks like that and we're really setting up a highly conducive environment in which to do this. And you may know that uh, through the first wave of psychedelic um, research, it became clear that the physical environment in which these uh, drugs are consumed plays an outsized part in the experience that people have on the drug. And as it turns out, uh, the best predictor we currently have for clinical benefit in the long term is the nature of the acute psychedelic experience. I mean, I think it it really is a matter also of what you do with that experience, but certain qualities, certain characteristics of acute psychedelic experience matter a lot. And so uh, we we got all out in terms of the the right kinds of uh, preparation, the right kinds of uh, therapeutic support the right kinds of physical uh, environments to to get the best chance at um, at a highly productive uh, psychedelic session. Very often, you know, given the nature of what people are up against when they come into these trials, uh, the psychedelic experience for for a lot of participants is incredibly challenging. Hmm. Um, but you know, our our model of of care and our kind of treatment approach is really quite different than, um, say, some of contemporary psychiatry, which looks to uh, dampen uh, negative symptoms. Uh, Rather, we're providing uh, a context within which participants can uh, get a lot more access and contact with um, typically repressed and defended material, psychological material. And so, you know, really, I think, a really good way to think about this kind of treatment approach is uh, as experiential medicine, you know, experiential medicine that requires, you know, a, a set of ingredients to have a good chance at achieving the kinds of experiences that we think might matter for clinical benefit. So, you know, the, the, the right kind of drug, the right dose, the right therapeutic support and physical context. And if you get all of that right, you have a reasonable chance of, um of allowing participants to to have what they often report to be one of the most personally meaningful and also challenging experiences of their lives. Uh, And if you hear the stories of what takes place for these participants during the trip session and then uh, in the days and weeks and months afterwards, it's uh, very clear that that the contents of their experience matter a lot, uh, that it's not some abstracted, Drug effect uh, in the brain, but rather that uh, you know the subjective uh, experience seems to be the most powerful level of explanation and the best way to understand why this seems to be working.
0: I imagine that's a pretty big job for the uh, the therapists involved, because you know <laughs> it have to be you, you got to go along for the whole ride with them. If if there's a freak out, if there's an anxiety attack, as well as you know feeling very a like kind of holistic approach i'm sure that that would have to be as well but um so, um what so what what uh what are you finding out about psilocybin um and and i guess and ang- people with anxiety disorders what what is it doing for people that's been uh different to other treatments in the past what's happening within people
1: mm yes yeah, so when we look at a number of other uh, relevant trials that have been completed and published overseas, um, it really does look, as I mentioned, like psilocy- well-supported psilocybin sessions and also, in, in a different way, well-supported MDMA sessions are allowing people to have far greater contact with typically repressed and defended material. And that seems to allow people to kind of almost get over um, a very difficult hurdle or barrier that you know any psychotherapist will tell you about, so what this seems to do is you know and you really do have to you know prepare well for this this is this is kind of one of the key functions of the therapeutic support is that um, when the psychological defenses come down um, through the the action of uh, psychedelics in the brain um the, the kinds of material that uh, people are exposed to is often um, challenging and even overwhelming. And uh, we really want to be mindful of the risks of, uh, you know, extreme fear and panic and re traumatization But also, at the same time, we're supporting people to trust and let go and be open and engage uh, with that material as it comes up. And, you know, the, the stories are very diverse across different participants. And, and, and we can kind of begin to get a picture of how this is working and what people are experiencing and what might be happening in the brain as well. Um, you know, some people get a flash of hope like they've never had before, this kind of sense of uh, relief from a kind of distress that has been uh, prevalent through their lives or for, or for decades. And that allows them to kind of begin a virtuous cycle of behaviour change and learning and transformation in their lives. For some people, it can be like encountering their deepest fears, but then, you know, they they find themselves on the other side of that and often, uh, you know, realising not only that they survived, but the thing that they were afraid of is, uh, you know, their best friend. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, There's often this report of the kind of nightmarish monster that a person has been running from, uh, transforming into an ally of some sort. Um, and so that's part of the therapeutic work, is kind of gearing people up to turn toward the thing that they typically run from and um, and to trust it and to be curious about it and to go into it. Uh, for a lot of people, there are these uh, kinds of insights that I guess are not, n- not exactly... Uh, insights in the way we typically think of them in that it's not just a a mere thought uh, or a new idea about their lives. That that is often what people report, that they've got these new perspectives on old problems that seem to be very useful. But um, we know in mental health treatment that ideas alone uh, don't drive change in behaviour and attitude and and emotion very much. You know, Um, You know, the people that go through a lot of these high dose psychedelic experiences will often report things that are either ideas that they already knew, like, you know, smoking 30 cigarettes a day for decades is going to kill them, or they sound like kind of platitudes that you can slap on a hallmark card, like love is all there is. What's actually driving the change is not the idea, it's that these new perspectives on themselves or the world or relationships are deeply felt and right. Right. perhaps even we, we, we need some new words because it seems like it's not just affect it's not just feelings it's like embodied and visionary and and some some kind of profound encounter that feels very real and does drive change in people's lives and so that's you know that's what you're we hearing a lot it's like the sense of regaining proximity, for example, to your values. Yes, I've been trying to quit smoking for decades, and I'm aware that I'm going to leave my child without a father if I carry on like this, and I've been aware all this time, but now I can really feel it. I can really feel uh, the, the impact and the devastation in a very deep and embodied way, and that drives the change. That motivates people to do something different. It, it should be said, though, there's, there is a big difference between a transformational experience and transformation. Um, And I think that is one of the key challenges for the clinical field of psychedelic use, uh, how how we scaffold into the rest of our lives, uh, because there are all kinds of remarkable experiences. There are all kinds of impressive, dramatic, and rapid changes in people's lives that we see. And yet sustaining the outcomes uh, maybe more complex. We do see relapse rates in some trials. The relapse rates are high, um, and people, uh, I think, can can over time lose that sense of profound and deep and embodied connection to the new perspective or the new priority. Um, so, so that's really an open question for the field: how how we sustain the change.
0: Right. Why do you think psychology seems to have uh, in some way i'm not trying to be rude about it or anything i mean psychology is amazing what it's done but it yeah like, like you kind of were saying before almost seemed like it had stagnated for the last what 10 or 15 years ago you said like we got up to a really great point of understanding a lot of mental illnesses and and um things about ourselves but then um yeah well, what 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 do you think has kind of um changed is it our relationship with chemicals and and do you think that um without pedestaling psychedelics too much, um, you know, I've, I've had a real inkling that psychedelics really could be possibly that, that kind of missing link to, uh, like you say, uh, from intellectualizing something to feeling it and like almost having a dress rehearsal of where that, where that train of thought will lead or something. Do you, do you Mm -hmm. think that psychedelics could possibly be that that missing link to help us?
1: I'm not sure. Um, Look, you know, to answer the first question around the stagnation in the field of mental health care, um, it's it's worth saying that there are a whole set of uh, treatments that have been developed over time that help a lot of people. It's not that there's nothing out there. And I was, you know, earlier I was referring to the field of psychiatry, not psychology, uh, you know, right. because we consider psychiatry a branch of medicine and, you um, In other branches of medicine, uh, innovation and development has been incredibly impressive over the last 50 years or so. Uh, My sense is that the the key uh, struggles or or frustrations in the field of of mental health care may indicate uh, a number of erroneous assumptions about what the problem is. We have firstly a... Uh, symptomatic framework by which we attempt to understand and treat um, mental disorders. And and there are a number of frameworks. The most famous one is the Diagnostic Statistics Manual, which has a few hundred uh, psychiatric disorders. Um, My sense is that there are uh, far fewer ways in which uh, humans Enter into pathological modes of distress, and yes, they can manifest in in a whole range of different uh, symptomatic profiles. Uh, and there is there's a degree of usefulness around categorising these symptomatic profiles. But you know, when we have a uh, when we have a system that is ar- uh, based on arbitrarily defined symptoms, um, we immediately have uh, a problem. My sense also is that you know we're we're attempting. To address these symptoms fundamentally, you know, if we if we build a, a model of a problem that's based on symptoms, then uh, the logical conclusion is we need to address those symptoms. Um, the whole approach in psychedelic treatment is not about addressing symptoms uh, at all, but rather about um, opening the the um, the lid on the more fundamental causes of those symptoms, you know, really moving past the, the uh, patterns of uh, avoidance and rigidity to access more fundamental sources of pain and distress uh, and maladaptive processing, and then working with that. I mean, what's interesting is that um, when you can simply be with and encounter um, difficult material, the difficult psychological material, uh, without avoiding it, uh, often the transformation, you know, occurs right there. Um, we often think that, you know, when we access deeper layers of information, then then we'll figure out what the problem is and then we'll have a task on our hands trying to fix that problem. Or, as it turns out, uh, just simply allowing uh, reality to unfold, allowing, you know, um, Aspects of your mind, or your response to the world, or your history and your memories, to just play out uh, while you um, accept them and be curious about them and feel them. Uh, th- that in itself seems to um, uh, be the change that that's needed. So perhaps you know, as a lot of people before have said, that the source of um, uh, psychopathology is about avoidance in some way or another
0: right i've listened to a lot of um the work like that maps are doing where uh, mdma is seeming to be extremely effective in things like post-traumatic stress disorder which completely makes sense i mean if you're able to go into your trauma while you're being flooded with um with you know is it dopamine or or serotonin or or both um you know basically happiness um it's it's not such a scary place um would you be able to talk a bit about how mdma therapy works
1: Uh, the MDMA assisted therapy approach perhaps is a little different than the classic psychedelics. As you indicate, you know, there is this opportunity for um, exposure, uh, which is a, which is a kind of bedrock of a lot of mental health treatments. Exposure therapy uh, works for a lot of people, um, but it doesn't work for some people either because they're not willing to go there or because it's re-traumatizing. And, MDMA seems, you know, really well well placed to allow for a dramatic kind of reappraisal that is what is essential for exposure to work. And and again, it's not just when I say reappraisal, it's not just a new set of ideas about the old problems in your life. It's that you have a kind of somatic and affective uh, opportunity to, to reorient to the things that typically trigger your stress. Um, and during MDMA, yeah, you can, you know, a lot of people have a tough time, but they can generally tolerate far more distress than usual. You can, you can, you can do much more um, effective and efficient work than in uh, typical exposure interventions, because you can really go back to the war or to the abuse and you can be there and stay there. And often the transformations are, are surprising to everybody involved. You know, you'll, you'll hear reports of people um, getting in contact with, for example, uh, compassion for a perpetrator or, uh, or self-compassion where there's a lot of self-loathing and guilt. And, and these kinds of experiences that uh, you just, it's just very difficult to talk yourself into those.
0: Right. Um, I'd love to ask you about some specific kind of mental disorders that, um, and, and also kind of in the same context of like the risks of psychedelics. Cause it's, yeah, I mean, I always harp on about the, the benefits and, and things and, and how amazing psychedelics are, but, um, you know, that, that there are real risks and I am, um far less hesitant i'm far more hesitant now that i've gotten a little bit older to recommend psychedelics for anyone that i don't know because (laughs) you know what i mean it's um there's uh, i I would hate to be the reason for someone to have a bad trip and i would hate to be what i'd I'd hate for them to have you know any kind of lasting effects and also the guilt of having to wear that you know (laughs) like it's it's just not a uh it's not, not a person's place, really. Um, mm. But, you know, things like um, I've, I've heard you talk about psychosis um, and that's a strict no for psychedelics, right?
1: Yeah, that's right. So first wave of psychedelic psychiatry through the 50s and 60s, uh, they looked at the the utility of LSD in the treatment of schizophrenia and, and it was invariably counterproductive. They, they made it, you know, those trials tended to exacerbate schizophrenic symptoms.
0: So someone with schizophrenia, because I've heard it can trigger schizophrenia, but someone who's already got schizophrenia, that can still spiral and make it worse. It doesn't help unravel the anything at all, no.
1: Yeah. In general, uh, classic psychedelics tend to make um, people with schizophrenia um, have worse symptoms, and there are some cases um, of people who have – had what's referred to as a psychotic break following uh, high dose psychedelics. Mm-hmm. Uh, it really looks to be the case that uh, that, that a vulnerability is required in order f- for that to occur. And we don't, we still don't know. You know, again, when somebody has a vulnerability for psychosis, uh, all kinds of different traumatic experiences can trigger uh, the first psychotic break. You can, you know, the divorce of your parents can do that, um, and psychedelics. You know, outside of a well-supported context can be traumatic for people. So, so we're not sure exactly what the contraindications are there. And in the modern era, the last 25 years, yeah, you know, nobody with psychosis vulnerability you know, participates in these trials. And I think there's some good reason for that. Um, so, And in saying that, you know, we haven't seen uh, something like a psychotic break triggered in the modern era of psychedelic um research when when the, the vulnerabilities are excluded at, at screening um, there are some other issues that we exclude in order to um to maintain the highest levels of safety but there is less rationale behind some of them we just out of an abundance of caution need to exclude certain people particularly at this early phase of the research so for example the questions around the utility of psychedelics in the treatment of bipolar is, is unclear. It looks like from some very preliminary observational studies of people self-medicating in the wild that um, that hypermanic and manic episodes uh, are exacerbated with psychedelics, but depressive episodes are helped uh, by with some people. Um, there are all kinds of risks and and, you know, we do take care of the majority of those risks during screening. But we, we exclude cardiac disease, for example, and other, other major physical illnesses. Um, and, and, and we're not clear yet on, on what the contraindications are, but again, out of an abundance of caution, we do that. And then really the, the kind of role of the therapeutic containment and the therapists themselves and their training, all of that is primarily in the service of safety, but also in the service of um, effectiveness. You know, I think with with a lot of treatments and psychedelics uh, very much so, safety and efficacy, I think, are two sides of the same coin. Uh, it, it's the same kind of requirements to get both of those right. We really do see that, um, you know, all kinds of negative experiences uh, can occur in psychedelic trips in the wild, and if they're not well supported, uh, then they can be uh, unproductive at best and damaging uh, in some cases too. Uh, it's worth also saying, though, that you know a so-called bad trip uh, is distinct from a challenging psychedelic experience that uh, you can, at least at some point, uh, open up to and um, breakthrough if you like and that's usually that's often where the critical role of a therapist comes in to allow a person to transform a so-called bad trip where you're basically trying to avoid it and get out of it and want it to stop uh, into something that is um actually you know very useful for you psychotherapeutically yeah i I might say just one one more thing on the on the therapist and the therapist training which is like a critical piece of getting this work right Hmm. and and um you know in, in our research group at Monash. Uh, we have uh, a number of different projects, and we've we've trained up a, a couple of cohorts of therapists to work on these trials. And you know, firstly, these are these are already qualified and experienced clinicians in their own rights. You know, psychiatrists and doctors and psychologists and psychotherapists of, of various sorts. And then we provide you know substantive. Uh, psychedelic training that's heavily informed by people uh, experts in the field overseas and a great group of local trainers as well uh, in Australia. And then we also provide a supervised practice for the duration of the trials. So part- participants are seen by two therapists for the duration of their treatment under direct supervision from um, a leading clinician overseas. Uh, and I think that's really critical. it's it's a little bit like, you know, uh, if you want to become uh, a doctor, then you, you do a couple of years at university, you know, checking out PowerPoints and, and reading through textbooks. But really you could say that the real training begins when you set foot in the hospital and under the supervision of somebody far more senior than you, you um, you work with patients. And, and we apply a similar kind of model or approach here. And then finally, uh, one piece that I think is really uh, important to be able to offer in therapist training as an option is the opportunity for therapists to have their own psychedelic experience, yeah. in a clinically supported way. I was going to so,
0: ask about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, so not, actually, not during therapy, like their own separate one, or they would trip. like actually trip with the with the, the uh, client.
1: Yeah, no, that that idea is uh, is not on the cards, at least not yet. Though you know, you, you may know that the kind of uh older shamanic practices uh using right. psychedelics like in south america that, that was often the case mm. uh or even the shaman um you know doing the work for the the ill person uh who's not on a psychedelic. Um but our model is quite different than that and we've steps. been able to yeah. yeah well you know I'm not sure if we we are heading in that direction <laughs> necessarily but um but what we have received approval for is to give our therapists on, on our psilocybin for anxiety study a a, a short uh, version of psilocybin-assisted psychotherapy prep dosing and, and integration um, with high dose psilocybin, and um, yeah, I was you know, very heartened to to get that approval. It's the first research study to be able to give psilocybin to its therapists as part of training ever in the history of. Uh, the world, and, um, and it's the first to give a classic psychedelic as a training tool since 1974. MAPS, the organization leading the charge with MDMA research in the United States, have uh, a context in which they can give MDMA to their therapists as part of their training. So th- that's happening in, in the States, which is great. So, yeah, so we, we, we are uh, going to commence that uh, therapist study uh, soon, And we're not only delivering the uh, psychedelic-assisted therapy as part of training, we're also assessing its potential value uh, because the rationale for doing this is to provide better support to our clinical patients. And, you know, one one way you can think about it is by analogy to um, a a space mission, if you like, (laughs) uh, where, you know, the the, the role of the therapists is a little akin to ground control, um and you you're preparing a a good launch pad and then rocketing your participant out onto an unfamiliar planet and they are likely to encounter alien monsters and uh potentially be able to to uncover treasures out there on this alien planet but it, it may well be confusing and they may be overwhelmed um and so you know while you're communicating via long distance radio to to your astronaut, uh, it, it can be useful if you've been on that planet before or somewhere similar. Um, and, and in addition, you know, participants seem to derive a lot of added comfort and safety and trust uh, when they ask, as they almost always do, uh, if their therapist has had a psychedelic experience too. Naturally, they're anxious about it, going into it. And uh, when their therapist can say, yes, I have, and I've done it in a similar kind of context as this, uh, participants naturally derive a lot of comfort from that, and that helps a lot.
0: Right. Um, yeah. Back to some of the kind of um, mental illnesses, what, what about things like personality disorders or, you know, like even like borderline personality disorder or th- things like that? Because I've often wondered uh, with psychologists and i guess probably psychiatrists too um depending on whatever i mean there's so many different mental uh, health situations but i can i can imagine i've even found in myself if i've gone to a um a psychologist um uh you know you, you might not always want to deliver the entire truth to your to your um professional which is exactly what you should be doing but but i could imagine someone with like narcissism for example would would really not um may, maybe try and run rings around there uh, maybe i'm being completely unfair here but um you know that whereas psychedelics can actually kind of the therapy can almost the revelations can often come from within you can't really hide from that i'm wondering if, if there's um may, maybe i'm just kind of viewing this all with a uh an idealistic murky lens but um
1: Yeah, it's interesting. Look, yeah, that's really not my view. My sense is it really matters who does it and how they do it and in what way and with whom. Um, I don't have the view that uh, psychedelic molecules have, you know, inherent goodness and value. I think they are an opportunity um, to kind of shift outside of Rigid repertoires, and to get you know uh, to to widen your aperture in quite a dramatic way, to get a to get a a broader set of perspectives on mm. yourself and and your life, um, and often that can come with profound revelations or uh, you know shifts in perspective or priority or even personality uh, that can that can be sustained. But my hunch, again, these are empirical questions, and they'll be tested out over time, but. My hunch is that there are possible harms that we might only be seeing the very beginnings of that are not the typical harms that we talk about in this context, like um, you know risk of psychosis, uh, for example, but, but potentially more subtle and yet um, nonetheless important and maybe something that could become increasingly important if this becomes a service uh, in the future, harms to the ability for people to make sense uh, of of themselves and the world. Uh, You know, one example of many, for example, is that, uh, you know, I I wonder this and we're going to be testing this out in in some of our trials, whether there are ways in which psychedelics might uh, make people more vulnerable to conspiratorial thinking and delusion proneness. Totally. You know, I guess if you, you know, the dose always makes the poison, you know. So one of the things that psychedelics seems to seem to be able to do for people is part the curtains of um, you know uh, of a apparent facade of life, and so that idea that you know the world is not as it seems, that you know, I am not as I seem, um, that can be potentially overapplied and misapplied. You know, if you if you just think that about everyone and everything, that's that can be a kind of paranoid delusion.
0: Sure uh, sure,
1: and so, yeah, things like personality disorder and narcissism i mean my, my my hunch is that psychedelic experiences are more likely to exacerbate some of those issues than um than address them uh i again, I think how you how you do it, who you do it with um intention all matters it, yeah, yeah, it all matters but um but I don't have the sense that um that if we all took psychedelic drugs, we would all be better for it and we would all, you know, be much more connected to nature and ourselves and the world around us. Some people, yeah, sure. Mm. Uh, some people, there may be uh, very little change. And, and and for others, I think the changes could be quite negative. You know, I'm concerned about, um, yeah, these kind of potential derangements to sense-making um yep. to you know magical ideation uh you know the potential for tribalism to be exacerbated we don't know a, a lot of a lot of the answers to these questions but um but what we what we can say is that you know there are many people that consume psychedelics a lot and have been doing for decades and uh and we don't see a reliably positive outcome across all people at all. Yeah. Um, so, so again, I think it's just, you know, it's like, uh, it's like a psychotherapeutic approach, but just really massively facilitated by alterations in, in neuro, transient alterations in neurochemistry. But like with any kind of psychotherapeutic approach, you, you know, you can do it poorly, or you can misapply it in the wrong context. Uh, and i think the same applies here except you know perhaps the stakes are a little higher and the opportunities are a little greater too
0: sure i mean yeah you always hear about the term like ego death but then uh, you know i've met so many people with the most inflamed spiritual ego you know what i mean um also yeah i mean i was just i was just uh, listening to a podcast about this australian cult called the family you know this um people can get god complexes believe they've got exclusive Exclusive um, access to these other dimensional beings, and then uh, you know, before you know it, we've got an LSD cult. So yeah, like totally, it, it doesn't always lead to uh, enlightenment and um, and uh, yeah. uh, good things. But yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, that's right. I mean, this is this is, I think you know, it's worth thinking about um, you know the powerful changes that we see under psychedelics uh, in terms of both positive and negative potential. And, um, and I think that can be the case for anything. Anything that's powerful can be, uh, you know, can have positive or negative implications or effects. You know, so one of the, one of the key um, aspects of psychedelic experience that I think matters a lot is that that there is this sense of truth to the, to the perspective or the vision or whatever it is. You know, if it was just... A new perspective, or some visionary uh, encounter, or whatever, and you just felt like it was a drug trip. um, It was just a drug-induced distortion of reality, or some some charade. Then it it would it would carry no weight. It would not drive change in your life. It's the fact that so many people feel that this new perspective, or this lesson, or a revelation, or whatever it is for them, a new set of a new kind of sense of priorities. that that, that those experiences are reliable, and uh, and a lot of people report this. It's like um, aspects of their psychedelic experience seem to represent um, reality better than their sober experiences or, you know, represent some aspect of reality better than sober ones, and then you've got this kind of sense of enduring authority of that insight over time. So, you know, you don't wake up the next morning and go, this is the interesting thing with psychedelics, you don't wake up the next morning, and go, "Oh wow, that was just a drug trip," and I thought it was all so real and important. But now I know I was just tripping. Actually, people say, "Wow, I had an encounter, and it was really useful and really true, and uh, and I believe it." Um, and I think that's really important for driving change in the longer term. You know, if you if you want somebody to, you know, say, quit smoking because they realize that uh, they've got priorities that are far more important than smoking that uh, conflict that are mutually exclusive with smoking, like staying alive, um, then then they're going to need to feel that, that, uh, that that sense of a priority is really important and that that importance lasts over time. But what happens when that's misapplied? What happens to the narcissist who... Hears the voice of God telling them they they and only they have got this mission to accomplish on Earth and they must go out and at uh, um, at all costs achieve this glorious mission. Um, then that enduring authority of the message over time becomes uh, really problematic, and um, and so yeah, I think we have uh, powerful experiences occasioned by these drugs, and uh, it really. Is by no means guaranteed that those powerful experiences are constructive or prosocial or positive or beneficial
0: hmm. Well, we've got about like seventy years of uh, kind of psychedelics being experimented in the wild since what I guess the fifties or since like LSD was kind of discovered. So yeah, we we've got plenty of examples where we can see where it's got wrong. But what you know, what we haven't really seen is is kind of where this kind of work that you're doing will lead. And um, yeah, I was having a conversation with a mate a little while ago, and we we're kind of talking about the restrictions that Nixon put on it and that just stopped all psychedelic research. But imagine if we had imagine if we had what 50 years of psychedelic research under our belt we could be living in a whole different society potentially maybe maybe not um uh you know just just it could it could be wonderful treatments that are non-addictive um you know and yeah it, basically what i'm getting to is i'm really excited about the work that you're doing and um mm. yeah just really really looking forward to seeing um where, where it where it all leads
1: yeah no sure i'm excited too i mean i will say as a something of a kind of counterpoint uh, is that I really don't think that uh, these treatments, these psychedelic treatments uh, resemble a panacea. I don't think that there is, uh, you know, that possibility of a panacea. And, and certainly, you know, the field lost a lot of time over, the, over many of the last few decades in developing up this uh, set of treatments and, and testing them out. It's worth also saying, though, that, you know the, the the psychedelic research programs didn't come undone exclusively on account of uh, political manoeuvres. Really, there were a whole confluence of complex socio-political and scientific factors that played out. There, you know, a, and there were some of the potential harms that I think about and that we'll test out in some in some of our trials that also played a part in uh, in, in the field unraveling. So. Yeah, so really you know we did see a political uh, suppression of sorts but that was also predicated on already a, a controversial field with uh, a number of players that um, you didn't have the best practice uh, in in scientific uh, rigor or or medical ethics and um, and a lot of concern in the community a lot of it was unfounded but uh but some of it was well founded, and we do have you know stories like you said, even homegrown ones from here in Melbourne, where we can see some of the ways in which uh psychedelic uh, abuses can can be um played out um so yeah i share your I share your enthusiasm, and I think there's there's a lot of reason to be optimistic about psychedelic treatments um but my sense nonetheless, is that uh, we'll potentially have something very transformational and important for a subset of people struggling with mental distress. And that subset may turn out to be, in the end, uh, quite a small subset.
0: Right. Yeah, I have a tendency to get very uh, overexcited about this subject. So, um, yeah, thank you for bringing me back down to earth. But uh, <laughs> uh, Dr. Paul Lichnitsky, thank you so much for your time. Um, yeah. Uh, is, is there anywhere you would like to direct people if they're curious about this stuff? Um, I'm sh- yeah.
1: Sure. Well, any uh, professional who's interested in working in psychedelic-assisted therapies, is welcome to write to psychedelic at monash.edu and just uh, ask to be put on a notification, professional notification list, uh, so that when we recruit therapists for subsequent trials or or other medical professionals, uh, they can be notified. Any participants who are interested in uh, applying to receive uh, these treatments or participate in these trials uh, can write also to psychedelic at monash.edu it's worth just noting that we receive uh, many more uh, applications than we can accommodate unfortunately um, and there is a you know a very rigorous screening process for good reason as well we'll be opening recruitment on our psilocybin study uh, early next year in 2022 uh, and and so anyone who wants to be on the notification list can can write and we will notify them as soon as the recruitment starts on that trial we also have a number of other survey studies that will be kicking off soon as well so people that have had psychedelic experiences themselves, uh, in the wild, so to speak, uh, can also participate in those survey studies.
0: Fantastic. Thank you again for your time. I really appreciate it. And, uh, thanks for listening, everyone. Take care.
1: Thanks, Jack.